0: Hi, I'm Anka and this is the place to be to hear about the latest Web3 trends in healthcare. Do you want to know an easy way to identify when a technology has reached a high level of maturity? Well, when the company is using it, stop talking about the technology they use and start talking about the problem they solve. I'm happy to announce that blockchain has reached this stage. Welcome! Into the meta health. In today's episode, I sat down with Raja Sharif, CEO of ATMPS and PharmaTrust. Raja was an IT lawyer before entering the blockchain world. What brought him into this industry is a personal story. A relative living abroad was inadvertently taking counterfeit cancer drugs. This is how Raja realized that in some countries, over 30% of drugs available on the market can be fake. He was facing a real problem, and the solution came in the form of blockchain. This is how his company, PharmaTrust, was born. Raja, welcome to the show.
1: Hi Anke, how are you?
0: PharmaTrust was born in 2016. So you have been in the blockchain and health industry for almost seven years. What is the biggest evolution you have seen?
1: The biggest evolution, I think, is DeFi. Uh, that, that was the most kind of incredible evolution. Although we're not involved in DeFi itself, I really thought that that was quite an interesting development in the blockchain world and really quite a game changer, which unfortunately didn't live up to the promise of what it could achieve but then again you know whenever one brings new industries to light there are always failures some of them pretty catastrophic actually whenever you look back on history Uh, there, there are failures but technologies grow adoption is brought mainstream particularly through some of these kind of negative mainstream press but if you look at throughout history You know, you need that kind of frontier exploratory, interesting dabbling. And out of these kind of uh, interesting projects, you get the discoveries that really change society and how we uh, do trade and commerce.
0: For a very long time, I heard people say that track and trace is the easiest blockchain use case to implement in the health industry. Would you agree with that? And what is your experience?
1: So I, th- I think one of the reasons they do believe in that is the amount of data that one needs to capture for track and trace can be quite limited uh, and easy. As you know, blockchains aren't very good at storing large amounts of data, but they're very good at s- storing uh, smaller amounts of data. So due in traditional track and trace, one is really looking at chain of custody and uh, chain of identity, and sometimes chain of condition. So there's very limited kind of amounts of data that uh, needs to be collected. The unfortunate thing that most people don't appreciate is the number of stakeholders that are involved. And I think this kind of creates uh, something of an issue in terms of how do you, A, persuade all these people to join the kind of comprehensive Element you need in terms of ensuring everybody's chain of custody is recorded? And the second thing is, how do you cost it? Because, of course, different stakeholders within the supply chain have different roles, different margins, and, of course, different technologies that they're using.
0: Well, unfortunately, we don't see large scale adoption of blockchain based track and trace solutions for global pharmaceutical supply chains. It seems like there are a lot of different small projects in different countries, but nothing systematic. What is the main barrier, in your opinion?
1: Well, we do have solutions out there, but they're cloud based solutions um, and they're not as comprehensive. And we say they're also not as regulatory compliant as the solutions that we can provide over the blockchain. But as I said, you know, I, I think some people really fail to appreciate how young this industry is. I mean, I only got involved in 2016, as you said. Um, but, uh, you know, before that, it was only around 2011 when we really got into the whole Bitcoin kind of uh, movement as well on, on a kind of a conceptual level. Um, Trade lens, as you know, the Maersk uh, IBM uh, project failed. Um, and everybody kind of might start now saying, well, you know, you've got DeFi failing on one side. You've got, like, traditional trade services failing on the other. Um, And this shows that blockchain's time is over. But, again, this is one or two examples. And, uh, you know, no disrespect to larger companies, but larger companies always find it very difficult to implement new technologies. If you look at kind of the technological revolution, it was led by digital startups that grew very quickly. If you remember, Netflix, a tiny company, was trying to sell themselves to Blockbuster for, you know, paltry sums of money. And now look at their valuation. So, I think one should keep all of this in context because blockchain is a revolutionary technology as much as the internet was for for the 2000s. And you know, when I first started working for an IT company back in 1995, email wasn't in common use. The web wasn't in common use. And being a lawyer by background, most of my lawyer friends in finance and real estate says, Riley, you're wasting your time. This technology will never catch on. Uh, the banking guy was saying, let the regulators will never let you do banking online. It's just so insecure, da, da. Now, we're doing banking on uh, our mobile phones. And you, not only that, you have so many more choices. The traditional banks are really suffering. Stalin comes up, Revolut comes up. Um, all these other kind of uh, smaller uh, Monza-type banks are, are available. And the fact is, one, you should also consider who one is speaking to as well. If you're speaking to people my age... Right, particularly in like technology uh, departments, they're used to hardware, right? They're they're the kind of uh, generation of boxes in data centers, right? They don't have a significant or very in depth view of um, software on the whole. I'm not saying everybody, but on the whole, that's the kind of uh, person you're going to meet. If you meet somebody who's a millennial or Gen Z. You know, they want the convenience and ease and understand all the security measures generally that are in place nowadays to be able to allow you to do significant activities online and the promise of blockchain, which is that it increases transparency and trust between the different uh, stakeholders involved.
0: The company evolved quite a bit during the past couple of years. You moved into the field of personalized medicine and developed a platform called Hatali for advanced therapy medicinal products such as gene or cell therapies. What is very specific about these therapies is that they are created for a specific patient. They cannot be administered to anyone else. So as a consequence, the entire production process is drastically different from that of traditional drugs. Can you explain what problem you identified? and how your platform is addressing it? Well, interestingly,
1: the problem I think was um, discovered by one of the regulators. It was actually um, the US health regulator who kind of hinted to one of our partners that they may want to look at blockchain to solve the issue of the amount of regulatory uh, requirements around personalized medicines. So just in terms of normal kind of medicines, you do have a significant amount of regulation. But when you move into the personalized sector, it becomes even uh, greater. Not only do you have your normal DSEA type tracking solutions, but you have to uh, also ensure full chain of custody Full chain of identity, as you say, so the medicines don't get mixed up. They are live biologics in most cases, right? So the way these uh, therapies work, generally they're for cancers, so cures for cancers, and they use your own immune system to attack the cancer, or they're gene therapies for things like muscular, uh, spinal atrophy, etc., which are are now available, as well as sickle cell uh, cures are now available uh, through gene therapies, And what we identified is you need an environment of not only trust and transparency, but you also need the ability for multiple stakeholders to be able to kind of really understand where a therapy is in the process with full compliance records. And blockchain does that really well, particularly in an environment where, you know, time is of the essence. Most of these Cancer patients are really on the kind of end of life situation, stage four type cancers. So these treatments take between 15 and 25 days to make. So there's very little room for error or, or you know, mistakes or delays. And blockchain plays really well into that because, of course, it gives all the stakeholders the same data at the same time.
0: Who are the main users of this platform today?
1: So the types of stakeholders that would use our platform for this is the pharma or therapy developers. So these could be companies like Novartis, could be companies like Kite, could be companies like Autolus, et cetera, or Bluebird Bio. Those are the kind of therapy creators. Then you have the clinics. So these would be your hospitals or private clinics in the U.S. that would actually... Uh, take uh, what they call uh, samples from the patient and then give it to a courier. And these couriers are very specialized people. So it'd be people like World Courier, Cryoport, SeaSafe, And these companies basically have temperature-controlled boxes, essentially, um, that ensure that the sample is kept at a certain temperature range. Because if it goes above or below a certain temperature, it will spoil the sample. And of course, the same thing happens uh, with the treatments. And then these are taken to labs, and the labs could be owned by the pharmaceutical company or the therapy developer, or it could be a CMO uh, CRO, so uh, you know uh, a contract uh, manufacturing organization or outsourced uh, pharmaceutical type solutions that can be provided.
0: If you had a magic wand and you could change anything in this industry, that would significantly accelerate the use of tech solutions such as Hatali. What would it be?
1: Uh, understanding <laughs> comprehension. I mean, most of, most of our time, um, you know, we really kind of trying to get people away from paper. I mean, paper is is a real addiction in the healthcare sector, and you know, it surprises me that an industry which is built on accidental discoveries and innovation right, really has difficulty in terms of full digitization and moving on to digital technologies. And there's a number of reasons for that, and different jurisdictions have a different attitude towards it. The UK, by far, has the biggest problem in going into uh, full digitization. Um, America tends to be a little bit easier when you get to places like Korea and Japan it's much easier, Uh, they really like and want digitization to, to, to happen, but this kind of traditional mindset that oh, you know, it's difficult to use is kind of difficult the other thing is, when people think about digitization they don't think about blockchain, they don't think about AI and neither should they, I mean, that's something we cover up, but The real big problem about digitization is they take their paper processes and literally put them on a kind of a digital footing, i.e. this is when this guy signed this paper, this is the notes we want him to keep, et cetera, et cetera. As you know, the whole point of being fully digital is you can scan a label, for example, all the details are there. You can take the details of the user from the phone itself so you don't have to get them to sign. And, of course, with blockchain technologies. Really great thing is we can, as is required by a lot of pharmaceutical regulations, is have automated signatures from the user on an electronic basis, and the Americans are very good uh, with this actually by the way they they have very clear rules, um, and I think you know the Americans complain a lot about the FDA, but our experience of the FDA is they 're really quite um, open to experimentation uh, and use of new technologies in terms of easing the burden uh, of the provision of medicines. And I think that we really, particularly here in Europe, we're really falling behind uh, the Chinese and, and a lot of the Asian jurisdictions when it comes to looking at technologies that can help with the regulation of pharmaceutical products. You know, EMA, it's it's a really big organisation and quite difficult to navigate. MHRA is slightly better, but by far, I think the one they need to chase is the FDA and the Chinese regulators, um, because they're embracing these digital technologies. And China, in particular, is very big on blockchain, as you know, every year, they seem to be approving around 150 to 200 blockchain projects, AI is even more than that. But um, we really need people that understand how digitization should be done, and how it can protect the customer. I mean, this is a bit that I don't understand why regulators can't see that blockchain with its characteristics of immutability and incorruptibility incorruptibility, is going to protect the patient at the end. Paper records can be forged. Cloud records can be amended by super admins. Um, Corrupted data, which is something, of course, another thing that blockchain prevents, can really affect... Uh, or delay treatments or medicines going to to patients. So, you know, one one needs to really kind of push this message forward. But unfortunately, I think some people get lost in the detail of the technology and kind of the process, rather than think stepping back and saying, "How does this help the patient? How does this help get treatments faster to the patient?" That's what regulators should be thinking about. In terms of who signs it, when they sign it, that's covered by technology. I mean, even non-blockchain technology can cover that for them.
0: What's interesting is that a couple of years ago, companies used to promote the fact that they were developing blockchain-based solutions. Why do you think that we don't talk about the technology as much anymore? Do you still talk a lot about it?
1: We don't talk about it a lot. I mean, we're f- in a fortunate position that we've got a blockchain patent for the personalized medicine space in the U.S., and uh, hopefully next year we'll have it also in Asia and and the EU. Um, the reason we don't, and I know this from kind of my long history in, in, in the industry, is that people really start getting bogged down in the detail. How does it work? You know, what stops it doing this? What's it... And, you know, I don't know how Google works, I've got to be honest. But I know if I type my details in there, it's going to give me results that I like, right? Um, now there's all different schools of thoughts of that. And this is trying to, as I said, this is an environment where you're having to deal with kind of much more mature audiences who are about my age. And like are used to hardware kind of uh, details and how they work rather than how nodes work. You know, what's the difference? I mean, permissioned and public blockchains shouldn't, shouldn't be a detail. But even then, you know, the fact that the amount of security encryption on the public blockchain makes it uh, incredibly difficult to see the data. Even then, people insist on using permissioned blockchains. And we say, okay, fine. it's it's, it's we, we can do it, but we don't understand why you have to do it. But they don't understand it either. So, you know, we can spend hours and hours talking about why it should be permissioned or public. Um, I mean, E&Y are, are, are quite interesting because they're, they're, their whole strategy lies around ensuring that all their solutions should be on public blockchain, which to a certain extent I agree with. Um, but again, they, the, you know, some of these pharmaceutical companies also believe they should store all their data on their own servers. Now, how that makes information much more secure, I have no idea because it's not like the location of your data. It's like how good your encryption is and how good your cybersecurity department is at preventing people hacking into it, right? And, you know, NASA is a classic example of this. They've got lots of their own kind of data servers uh, and data solutions that get hacked from anywhere in the world. And governments are similar, by the way. You know, there are governments and government organizations that insist data should stay uh, within their territory, like it's, a, it's an item, a physical item, right? But you're dealing with a virtual world. And the virtual world, of course, it can be hacked from anywhere. It doesn't matter where the data is. It just uh, means what kind of connection you've got and what kind of um, security software you've got. So it's very difficult, you know, trying to have to deal with that kind of mentality where there's a difference between understanding the virtual world and the physical world. Uh, And so to complicate things and talk too much about blockchain is going to really muddy the water. I must say, however, when it comes to the cell and gene therapy world, we're quite fortunate because they are younger startup type companies. So I'm not talking about the Novartis here. I'm not talking about... The, the kind of like um, Pfizer, Kites, and Gilead type companies. I'm talking about the newer, smaller companies like uh, Adaptimmune, for example, or Bluebird Bio, or um, some of these Genti Bio is another one. You know, these peop- uh, companies have kind of younger workforces, usually around their mid-30s as well, and they understand and appreciate uh, blockchain really uh, quite quite uh well and you don't have to explain it to them. Most of them have probably been trading cryptocurrencies themselves anyway. Um, so, you know, it's uh they, they they get the big advantages of blockchain and it's a much easier sell. Um either case. But in both situations, you really don't need to emphasize the blockchain kind of aspect of it. Either they're young and they understand it so you don't have to explain it to them, or they're older uh, don't understand it. And, you know, if you go too much into it, they'll get bogged down into the detail of how, how it works.
0: Hotali is an award-winning solution. It received a CPHI Pharma Award in the category Digital Innovation, as well as a Thomson Reuters Most Valuable Data and Insights Award. And I think I'm missing a third one.
1: But BioNow, which is uh, a UK award here in uh, England. So that that was of course, uh, an award for uh, Best Technical Services Provider. And, you know, it it is really great. I I think we're one of the few blockchain-based companies to win mainstream awards. But again, you know, I suspect a lot of that was because they didn't realize we are using a blockchain platform. It was uh, much more about our kind of ease of use of the platform, um, the number of different modules in in Hatali, which allows smaller players to get the same benefits as a bigger company as well. Um, And the fact that you can really get these treatments to patients much, much faster than if you were using traditional methods. And the costs uh, are driven down. But the most important thing is, again, it comes back to patient safety. People understood, you know, this solution can get ordering, and scheduling of treatments from hospitals to therapy developers much much faster, and it could help developers reduce the regulatory burden um, by using our technology and give transparency to all the um, appropriate stakeholders. so doctors know when a treatment's coming or if there's a problem, and the labs know which treatments they're going to have to provide, and then of course, resource plan. but we've got some really other interesting you know uh, solutions as part of the Hatali platform. One which I really, really like, and is quite simple, but really effective, is called our Smart Labs module. And essentially, what that allows you to do is monitor stock and inventory levels in a lab, um, and monitor it from anywhere in the world. So you can monitor any labs anywhere in the world, and you'll know how many chemicals are there, how many pipettes are there, for example, uh, how much media there is there as well. And some of this media takes about three months to create. So our next kind of stage of that is actually being installed at Cambridge University right now. Um, The next stage of that is to fully automate the procurement process by plugging into the ERM system. And you can do that with our solution because of course we can employ smart contracts and of course the blockchain certainty that, um, you know, some products fell below the levels, minimum levels that they need and, more should be ordered, but it's fully automated. Nobody would be involved from a human side. In
0: 2017, you wrote an article that said that blockchain will create a paradigm shift in healthcare. That was a very bold statement. And I think a lot of us made that statement back then. Do you still stand by it?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look look at where we are. Well, the internet, which really only got going in, what, 1998? Before that, it was used by students like like myself and and emails. Uh, And the kind of, it accelerated. So if you look at the platforms and the issues that they've had to deal with, I mean, there's carbon footprint uh, issues. Uh, A lot of those um, traditional blockchain companies or the established blockchain companies are moving to proof of stake to kind of remove those concerns. Um, there's security issues, there's bad players, uh, many in the fintech side of things rather than, of course, the area we're dealing with. But if I can, in the example I gave you with Smart Labs, if I can save two headcount from sitting there and counting the number of chemicals and then like calling up a supplier and asking for orders, it can save a significant amount of time, not for the company and uh, the efficient, but for that person they really shouldn't be doing boring jobs. You know, they should be doing something a bit less repetitive, a bit less mechanical. So I think, again, I'll, I'll come back to the fact that, you know, we, this industry has only really got going back in 2016, 2017, when I really got involved. We're only at 2022 right now. We are going to see failures. Just think about all the companies that failed during the dot-com boom and bust and then you know everyone goes back to the tulips and all the other kind of manhattan building projects that that caused a lot of uh, upset but don't also forget from the dot com bust came apple from the dot com bust came amazon you know uh, and and there's so many others netflix is another one there's a lot of uh, companies out there that that survived and to a certain extent i think you need pruning and concentration of resources in really good companies that will grow rather than just you know scattergun approach of investing getting burned investing getting burned and and really destroying customer confidence as well as the public's confidence but the other side of it is i mean gen z is coming into the workforce now right they understand blockchain. They understand AI. They understand the need for convenience. And I don't think they're going to tolerate this lack of non-use of technology in, in the workplace, no matter whether it's a clinic, uh, whether it's a, a pharmaceutical company or, or courier. You know, I mean, at the moment, some of the clients that we talk to, they are calling up uh, to book a treatment with the pharmacy developer, then they have to sort out the courier, then they have to sort out uh, booking the treatment room, etc. Our solution automates all of that. In fact, some work we did with Dresden University Hospital, they did some simulations in terms of the traditional techniques of ordering and using Hatali. It went down from nine to ten hours plus to one hour because you can enroll a patient, you can screen a patient online, you can save the consent forms all on one platform, you can book a treatment as simple as booking an Uber. I mean, that's how easy mm-hmm. our system makes it. But there's you know, there's always resistance to change generally. Um, it's less so in the cell and gene therapy, more so in the traditional track and trace kind of uh, pharmacies, because there are systems there, cloud-based systems, uh, and that mentality, unfortunately, of, of people of my generation, if it ain't broke, why fix it? Whereas what successful companies would really want to do is the Amazon or the Jeff Bezos statement is ask not uh, why, ask why not. Right? And this is kind of a real mindset shift. But the millennials and the Gen Zs really do, as I say, come into this and and they're coming into the workforce in larger numbers and in strength. And they're not going to tolerate why they have to sign a bit of paper or why they have to write something down when they can just use their camera phone to scan a label and it'll give them all the details they need.
0: Raja, thank you so much for this very insightful discussion and for participating in this show.
1: Thank you so much, Anka. It's been a real pleasure.
0: I hope today's episode was useful. As always, I will see you soon for another Web3 adventure in healthcare.